That's our scripture this morning, and uh, I've already prayed, but I, boy, would you pray for me that I would be a blessing to you. Happy Mother's Day here in Ireland. Um, I have to say, thank God for moms. Moms are women who are courageous enough to press on with a pregnancy, carry their child to birth, then off to school, then through the troublesome teen years, and then they carry them through college, and carry them all the way down to the aisle, to their marriage, and to their own family. Thank God for moms. In the very least, they are usually rewarded with something that makes it all worthwhile. It's called grandchildren. And that's a great name for them, because they are grandchildren. Now, God thinks very highly of moms. He commanded all people everywhere. It doesn't matter what nation, what culture you're from. He commands that uh, every person in every age to honor their parents. Exodus chapter 20 says, one of the commandments is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. If we want God to spare our nation, spare our, our society, we need to honor our dads and our moms. And that means to praise her, thank her, just for being mom. Some people don't have their moms around. I bet they wish they could, just one more time, thank them for being their mom. Motherhood's a high calling. It's just as high as that of being a preacher, a, pre a president, or a prime minister. Now, there are a lot of demands on a mom. It's almost constant. But today, motherhood has weathered a lot of storms over the years. To more and more people, being a mother is just a biological inconvenience. It isn't what so many women expected it to be. There's no glamour in carrying around a sick child for days. The fear of pregnancy usually outweighs the joy of it today. And I found that no longer do only married people get pregnant. They don't want to get married to get pregnant. And I believe that grieves God the most. But this morning I want to show you why being a Christian mom matters. And why it's desperately needed. Because their, their unappreciated faith in Christ actually can change this world. So... Let's look there in First Timothy chapter. Oh, sorry, in, in um, Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one in verse five. I'll come back to verse five in a second. The Apostle Paul is concerned about a young man named Timothy. Paul has previously written a powerful letter to him that we call First Timothy. It's called First Timothy because he wrote it first, but it explained to Timothy. Some, some very important things, how to be a faithful man of God, how to pastor God's people, and how to preach. But there is so much more that Timothy needed to know to be a godly man. Because even in Timothy's day, there was intense persecution against, against Christianity. There were lots of hardships. There were lots of obstacles. And there was a tendency for Christians to quit. But Paul, at least, was greatly comforted about one thing that he knew about Timothy. His mom. She and her mom are described as having a kind of faith that is very rare. It's called unfeigned faith. And their unfeigned faith forged a great young man that would end up pastoring a great church in Ephesus and would reach their generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look there in verse 5 again. Paul says, When I call to remembrance, when I bring back to memory... The unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee 
also. Now we've got to start off, we've got to say, what is unfeigned faith? Now I love Bible words. Bible words are very unique words because they're, they're not like normal conversation. We rarely think about what we say. And even the things that we read, rarely are they, are they really weighty and thoughtful and, and worth pondering. But when you read the Bible, every word is from God. Every word is measured and careful. So when you find words like this, unfeigned faith, you find older words. Unfeigned, now not all old words are bad, okay? As a matter of fact, I prefer a lot of the words back as they were older because the way they change today is, is filthy and wicked. But here is a good old word. It's called unfeigned. Now to feign something means to pretend, to fake something. So when you say feigned, think of the word faked. So it means to disguise your real intentions. It means to live a lie. Now, if you will, go to Luke chapter 20 and verse 19. Luke chapter 20 and verse 19. And this is the only time that, that word is used in the Bible. Luke chapter 20 and verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on Jesus. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him. And they sent forth spies, which should, what's the word? Feign themselves just men. Now we use the word just like only men. But that's not, the word just there means as if they're good men. They feigned themselves good men. That they might take hold of his words, they wanted to trap him, so that they might deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. So there were these spies, these people who were in the crowd, who were just waiting for him to say one slip up so that they could report him to the governor. But they faked themselves, they pretended to be somebody they were not. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. It's after Timothy... Hebrews, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 1. 2 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. It's called YouTube, and here I am on it. <laughs> but there are false teachers everywhere among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Look at verse 3. And through covetousness, that's getting people to follow them for, for, for benefit, for, for uh, success-oriented uh, living. Through covetousness, where you just want things instead of God. Through covetousness, they shall they with feigned words... Uh, uh, disguised words will make merchandise of you. They'll take your money. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So, Matthew 15, 8, won't, I won't have you go there. Jesus said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the best example of a pretender. And you know, I found most religion and most religious people, and most people would agree, they're fake. So to say somebody had unfeigned faith means that their faith was not faked. It means it was real. It was authentic. It was solid. You go to a, a wall and you, and, and, you, and you put your hand on the, uh, and you knock on the wall, you can hear, is it hollow or is it solid? And our faith needs not to be hollow. It needs to just be surface uh, thick. It needs to be um, uh, needs to be 
uh, um, solid and real. And uh, uh, I have a faith that I know so. I'm confident in. It's an absolute solid rock faith that I have that doesn't cause panic. Doesn't cause me to want to quit or freak out or worry when a storm comes because I am, I, my eyes aren't on the storm. My faith is in Christ. My faith is in His strength, not my own. I may get sick. I may become weak, but my weakness doesn't change His strength. Solid faith, real faith, unfeigned faith is at rest in the storm. Isaiah 26 3 says, Thou will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind, whose thoughts, whose faith is stayed, is anchored on, on God, because he trusteth in, in, in thee. Speaking of he trusteth in God. So you want, your, you want your mind and your heart and your life to be at peace? Have faith in God, a solid faith. Now a gambler will place his or her bet uh, on a dog or on a horse because he has a gut feeling. He has an intuition. They really believe this time they're going to win. But the gambler usually is the loser. Now, they put all their hard-earned money on a chance or luck. But a Christian doesn't work that way. We're not taking a stab in the dark. We're not just a blind faith. We don't believe the media. We don't believe some church. We don't believe some preacher or some modern-day prophet. We believe God. That's the difference. Somebody stands up and they speak what God says. I believe it. Somebody says what their opinion is. I go, that's their opinion. See, a Christian believes God, and we rest upon, thus saith the Lord. So, let's meet these two women, Lois and her mom Eunice, uh, because they're going to teach us about this unfeigned faith that can affect a grandson. They lived in modern-day Turkey, on the southern and central part of modern-day Turkey, not very far from the coastline, and it was in a, in a, they lived in a city called Lystra. It was a pagan city, but there was a church, a church there. It was a gospel preaching, Bible-believing church where someone had given the gospel to Eunice. And then, not only did Eunice get saved, but Lois got saved. And their faith, their faith was solid and real in spite of their circumstances. Now, what did it look like? Let's look at that verse again back in Second Timothy chapter two, in verse chapter one and verse five. Paul says, "I can remember." The unfeigned faith. He says, I remember this faith. So faith isn't just air. Faith isn't something that's invisible. Look, you keep going on. I'll come back to this thought in a second. I can remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You know what faith looks like? It looks like Timothy. He was the fruit of their faith. He was the fruit of their walk with God. He was the proof that their prayer life worked, that their personal worship of God mattered. You know what faith looks like? It looks like your children. Now that's scary sometimes. But 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this about Timothy. He says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. That was his other name. Timothy, Timotheus, same thing. He says, I sent unto you Corinthians, Timotheus, who is my beloved son. Now he was the physical son, of, uh, of Lois, but he says, he's family to me. He says, he's my beloved son. He's faithful in the Lord who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. See, when you look at Timothy, you saw the faith of his mom and his grandmother. He was a beloved Christian. He was faithful, full of faith, 
He was dependable as a Christian. He was a Bible teacher and preacher, not just a spectator like so many men are today. This young man was special because of the faith of his mom and his grandmother. The second thing about uh, unfeigned faith is it's visible. Paul saw Timothy's faith. He saw his mom's faith. He saw his grandmother's faith. And that's a lot of faith to see. What's the best, uh, and what was best about it was that it was lived out right out in the open. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't something they were ashamed of. God expects us to live our faith, not just have it. Other Christians need to see us trust the Lord. Now, sometimes we're very private, and it's hard. It's hard. You just, you just plow on. I understand that. But, but when people are going through a time like this, and they're struggling, it's great to have some Christians who have visible faith. Our children need to see it most of all. Timothy saw it in his mom, saw it in his grandmother. Uh, more about that in a minute. Did you know there's one thing that God looks at in your life? He does not look at your wallet, doesn't look at your house size, doesn't look at the size of your car or the year of your car. He looks at our faith. That's all he wants to see in us. Go to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 and verse 18. Luke 5, 18. Luke 5, 18 says this, Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, he was crippled, and they sought means to bring him in where Jesus was and to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop. They led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst of all that crowd that was packed into Peter's house, and they laid him in the midst before Jesus, right in front of Jesus, verse 20. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto that man on that couch, he said, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Listen, the world may laugh at you. The world may think you're crazy because you're, you're, you're just not believing everything somebody says and everything that's in the media. You kind of just have your way of life that you're just following this Bible and you're following the life of Jesus Christ, you're trying to live like Him, think like Him, love like Him. You're trying to serve like Him. You're doing all that. And uh, uh, the world may think you're crazy. Now, these four guys had to be thought of as crazy because they're breaking up the roof. They're dropping down a crippled man. They're interrupting Jesus. But you know, unfeigned faith is visible. It does things. It takes risks and lets people know I'm believing that Jesus is who I need. This man in this, they call it a couch, but it was a, a, a small bed like we would call a cot. And um, uh, so we believe Jesus is our answer. So don't be ashamed of your faith. No matter how little you have, no matter how small it may be, don't be ashamed of it. Live it. You know, when everyone saw a crippled man, when everyone saw his friends, when everyone saw the hole in the roof, Jesus saw their faith. I have to ask you, if you ask someone what they see in you, what would they see? Would they see you living by faith or by frustration? Would they see you living by faith or by your finances, your credit cards? You know, money in your bank usually convinces you you don't need God. Do people see you living by faith and trust or by your friends' opinions? What do people see in you? Lois's faith was clearly visible, like it should be. So if you're a mom, your children are watching you, and they want to know if God is real. You can prove it to them. So it was visible. It also was effective. 
Now, who wants to take a painkiller that does nothing? They call it a placebo. You're in pain, and somebody gives you a sugar pill. That doesn't help you at all. Well, who wants to have a faith that does nothing as well? Lois's faith and Eunice's faith was very powerful in their lives. It was effective at getting their family through hard times. It was effective in raising a family. Somebody, somebody usually puts up something on Facebook or something and says, this child didn't come with a manual, and I kind of just cringe, and I go, yes, it did. It's called the Bible. And if you, if you raise your child according to the Bible, you can't make a perfect child, but you can make a godly child. You can raise them right, because faith is effective. You know how we know it's effective? Because it worked. What you see back there in 2 Timothy is you see three generations that grandma's faith was enough. Now, the grandma's name was Eunice, and she was the first one that got saved. You've got to remember, this is in a pagan city. These people are not, they're not, uh, uh, you know, surrounded by Christian society and Christian ethos. Eunice hears the gospel. She's, uh, uh, she's a Jewess, and uh, uh, she's grown up with the Old Testament, and that's all she's got. But when she hears about Jesus and she gets saved, she decides, even against her religion, her Jewish religion, she follows Jesus Christ, and it was effective enough to pass on from Eunice to Lois. And when it went to Lois, it was enough for her generation to follow God, to love God, to worship God, to live for God, to serve God. Lois started living that faith. But that wasn't where it stopped. It passed on to Timothy. It passed on to Timothy where he had a new way of life. Isn't it interesting? The faith didn't change. The people it came in contact with changed. That's how faith works. You see, a mom's faith never is supposed to change. It doesn't need to change. I don't care if we're in the 21st, 22nd, 29th century. The faith still works. It is effective. It's what we need. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't come through any other ways. It doesn't come through technology, even though we use technology to get the word of God out. It doesn't come through through economics, doesn't come through politics, it comes by this book. That's why the emphasis is on learning the Bible, living the Bible. Evidently, what had been good for Eunice, the grandmother, and for Lois, the mom, to get through the troubles and valleys, was good enough for young Timothy, too. Think about that. A mom who actually starts believing what God says, can trust it and pass it on to the next generation and to the one after that. You may not see four generations, but you can hope that your faith can affect the third generation down, your grandchildren. Now, don't be too hard on yourself. Thankfully, when your faith is failing, God doesn't fail. God's faithfulness remains strong. You've got to think about this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. So when I get tripped up, when I get messed up, when I fail, and I... Uh, uh, become faithless or my faith falls apart, God says he stays faithful. He stays dependable. He stays strong enough to hold on to us. Philippians 1.6, my life verse says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's faithful. You know, most of us are going to fall very short of what we were supposed to be for God. We're going to fall very short of what we're supposed to be as dads and as moms and as Christians. But God cannot fall short. 
It's his, it's his nature to be perfect and to finish what he starts. So when I fail, when you fail as a mom, don't be too hard on yourself. When nobody sees much faith in you, okay, this is a good encouraging message to say, you know, I want faith to be more visible in me. I want it to be more effective. Let me tell you, God remains faithful. Deuteronomy 31, let me take you there. Go to Deuteronomy. This is a beautiful set of scriptures. In your Old Testament, the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 31. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Them being any enemy you may face, any trouble you may be up against. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Not going to abandon you. Going to verse 8. He repeats himself. You know, my mom rarely repeated herself. My dad never repeated himself. But when God repeats himself, he means you to pay attention. Verse 8. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before you. He's already ahead of you. He's already working things out. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be, we'd say, upset. Don't be dismayed. Don't freak out. Because your faith is placed in a faithful God. Another thought here, going back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, it was a respectful faith. I tell you what, I want you to go to Acts 16. It'll be faster going this way. Acts 16, I'll show you something. I'll show you something about Timothy's home life. <clears throat> Acts 16 and verse 1. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. These are two towns. Again, Lystra is where Timothy's living. And behold, a certain disciple, he already was saved. A certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess. What's her name? That was Lois. And he believed, but his father was a what? All right, so you got two cultures, Jewish and Gentile, Jewish and Greek, all the mythological gods of being a Greek versus the one God in the Old Testament uh, concepts of a Jewish woman. Now verse 2 goes on and says, which was well reported of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3 says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. And just stop there and just realize Paul was so impressed with Timothy and says, I need you. Now, Paul was one of those self-made men. Paul was one of those guys that didn't need anything. I mean, he ate nails for breakfast. He just faced into storms. He didn't matter whether he was in prison or at a palace. Nothing upset him. But Paul said, I need Timothy. Timothy can help me. And how do you make, how do you make a young man strong enough to face the trials, face the, the obstacles? How do you, how do you raise... Do you have to have a perfect family to raise such a strong son? No, you don't. Do you know, Paul praises Lois, the mom, and Eunice, the grandmom, but he doesn't praise the dad. He's not even named. So Timothy grew up in an imperfect home. Now, it is best. Nobody's saying we can just get by. As a matter of fact, you ought to marry somebody who's saved. If you're born again, you're supposed to wait until you meet somebody else who loves God and will live for God with you. But Lois was married to an unsaved man. He's not even named. And that's a scary thing. You know, you may have a great name in this world, but one of these days you may meet God and God says, I do not know you. Because your name is not written in the book of life. 
That ought to terrify some people. Lois was married to an unsaved man. He's also married to a stubborn man who didn't care about God, Jesus, or the Bible. Now, maybe she married him when she was before she got saved. We don't know. But Paul never mocks him. Doesn't say, oh yeah, Lois, I don't know how you put up with that man. No, never mocks him. But more importantly, Lois stayed married to him and loved him. Why? Because this man was Timothy's father, and that made him very important. She stayed with him. Uh, Lois stayed married to him because marriage is more than love. It is life. It is for life. And she stayed married to him and loved him because being a godly mom means doing right, especially when it's hard. Because Timothy, if he's ever going to be anything for good for God, he's going to have to see in his mom a strength and a faithfulness to keep going even though it's hard so that he can keep going when it's hard. Now what did Lois's faith do for her? Well, it caused her to have respect for her husband even though he was not godly. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Paul is, is absolutely in awe of Lois. Her effect on Timothy. And he knew where it came from. 1 Peter chapter 3. It wasn't because uh, the mom took over and ran the house and browbeat the husband and, and uh, made sure everything was done right. No. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in the subjection to your own husbands. You say, well, that'd be easy if my husband was godly, if my husband did right. No, it doesn't say that. That, if any obey not the word of God, they also may without your words, without the Bible, still be won by the conversation, we'd say the lifestyle, of the wives. While they behold your chaste, what a strong, what a good word, your chaste conversation means your carefully lived life, not just flying off, but living it carefully. They'll be won by the, conversa uh, by the chaste, when they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, fear of God, who's adorning, watch the outside, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. You don't, you don't show faith by putting on all those things to try to manipulate or, or get your husband to do what you want, or even what God wants. You do it by verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. That's where faith exists. Let it be by faith, and that which is not corruptible, doesn't ever fade, even the ornament, the glory of a meek and a quiet spirit, which, here's our faith, is in the sight of God of great price. Do you notice what God looks for? Something invisible. He looks for a meek and quiet spirit. Doesn't look at your makeup. Doesn't look at your hairstyle. Doesn't look at your height. Doesn't look at your weight. You know what he looks at? Do you have a right spirit in your home? She had respect for her husband. She didn't have to agree with everything he said or did. But the way to win him over was to honor him. And even though, and I'll take one to 2 Timothy. Just a few more scriptures and I'm done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. <clears throat> Look at what Paul says to Timothy. He says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I'll give you one guess who taught him the scriptures. His mom. His mom. You know, uh, even though... The dad never taught Timothy about God. Lois went right ahead and taught her son the scriptures herself. And it paid off. 
Timothy was living proof that a busy mama could change the world. If you know anything, there's a lot of biographies a Christian ought to live, and one biography you ought to read is about a woman named Susanna Wesley. She lived in the 17, early 1700s. She had a husband named Samuel Wesley. They had 19 children. Now, Susanna grew up in a home with 25, okay? But Susanna lost nine of her children as infants. Her husband was poor. He was undependable. He was often away from home, and it made life very difficult for Susanna and her 10 remaining children. Yet she raised her children for God. It is said about her, it said this, Although she never preached a sermon, or published a book, or founded a religion or a church, she is, she is known as the very mother of Methodism. Now, Methodism was uh, a, a denomination of Christianity called Methodist. She's called the mother of Methodism. Why? Because of two of her sons, John and Charles Wesley. Because as children, whether they consciously or unconsciously did, they applied the example and the teachings and circumstances, not of their father's godly life, but at least of their mother's godly life while they were at home. Now here's a statement. Moms, do you want a Timothy? Dads, do you want a Timothy? And don't fight at home. Don't mock each other. Don't argue. Honor your husband, ladies, for your children's sake. Honor one another. So what, is faith, what did uh, Lois's faith look like? It looked like Timothy. It was visible. It was effective. It was respectful. Two more thoughts. It was tested. It was tested. You know, untested faith is no good at all. You go to buy a car, you better find out if it's been tested. You, you take it for a test drive. You wouldn't want to get into an airplane that's never been flown before. Lois's faith obviously had been tested and found true. That's why it was called unfeigned. It was, it was real. And Timothy was a result of a mother's faith that was strong enough to keep going. And that's why Paul wanted Timothy. Not everybody that Paul met, met his standards for the ministries. Remember a guy named John Mark? John Mark was no good to Paul until his own faith matured. He made, Paul made a, he thought himself was making a mistake taking John Mark in and trying to get him in the ministry, and John Mark collapsed, and he says, you're not ready, send him home. Demas was a fraud. He was a faker. Oh, he had all of the show. He acted like he was going to be a great man of God, but he loved only this present world and did not love the world to come. Not everybody met Paul's standard for the ministry, but Timothy was tried and tested when Paul found him. We read that back in Acts. It says, him, Timothy, would Paul have go forth with him? He says, Timothy, I need you. I need to lean on you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to support me. So whatever Eunice, Lois, and Timothy had gone through had only strengthened their faith. Moms, if you ever tried to live by faith, when you ever, if you ever try to live by trusting and obeying Jesus, your attempts will always be hindered. They will always be blocked. They will always be thwarted, attacked, and examined by the devil to see if they're real. But that's okay. It's normal. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 12. This is a cute verse. It says this, Beloved, speaking to Christians, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. That's not a nice trial which is to try you, put you on trial, test you, as though some strange thing happened to you. No, it's normal. There, verse chapter 1 and verse 7, it goes on. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. 
that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, even though your faith is put to the test all the time by fire, it might be found unto the praise and the honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It's okay when, when your faith is tested. It's proving it to be true. Now, last thought, I want to give one final thought, and that is their faith was a good faith. Faith that makes you arrogant and proud and superior is not faith at all, but a faith that makes you a blessing and a servant and a help and humble and grateful. If it's a faith that gives you joy, that's real faith. That's proof that you're trusting God, and that's what a godly mom's faith looks like. So as I finish, let me just say Paul loved remembering the faith of Timothy's mom and grandmother. Their faith was an encouragement to him. It, they, he saw it had such an impact on Timothy. And I think young men need that kind of influence again. They've got every influence. You can't see anybody who's not constantly on their phone or constantly being influenced by media. They need a godly mom. They need godly dads. But we need a kind of mom that says, I want to have a faith worth passing on to my children that will reach all the way to my grandchildren. Even if I have to do it alone. So moms, I hope you never forget these two words. Unfeigned faith. You say, well, where, where do I start? Well, you start at zero. You start as nothing. Ladies, we know you're awesome. But Jesus Christ came to the world to save broken people, messed up people. He came to the world to save sinners. And that's where you start with God. You start off at the bottom. You don't say, well, you know, God, I'm religiously trained. I've got uh, three degrees. I've got uh, um, all of my children all lined up here. Aren't you impressed? No, God says, start at the bottom. Anything more that you claim to have when you come to God or only the shovel of pride is going to dig your own grave. You start at the bottom. And then look to Jesus. You know, they say this about an alcoholic. They'll say, the only time you can help an alcoholic is when they hit rock bottom. Let me tell you, the only, way you can, the only time you can save a person is when they're at rock bottom and they say, I've only got one place to look and that's up. And when you do that, look to Jesus. Don't look to a higher power. Look to the one name which is above every name that'll save you. You know, Jesus did everything necessary to forgive you. Moms, you may find all the faults in your kids and in your husband and in your parents, but you got the problem too. It's called sin. And God can forgive it all. God can wash it away in his Jesus Christ. So look to him. Trust him like you do a doctor with a knife. <laughs> you wouldn't trust me with a scalpel, but you got a doctor there. If he needs to operate, you trust that doctor with that knife. You trust a mechanic with a wrench. You trust a pilot with the plane you're back, about to get on and fly to on a vacation to. Trust Jesus. Not Mary. Don't you dare pray to her. She's not listening. Or don't talk to a priest. Don't trust a candle or a prayer. Trust means to believe whatever Jesus says and do whatever he commands. And he says you must, must be born again. Trust him that he's God. He knows what to do. He did everything that was necessary to save you. He died in your place. He was buried. They put him away. They thought he was gone. And he left them. And then three days later he came out to prove he's in charge. He is God. Don't worry that you're uh, uh, that you don't understand at all, just trust Him. Only trust Him. Ask Him to save you and forgive you. That's when faith begins. That's when all bets, all the risks are placed on Jesus Christ. 
From there, you'll only have to look to the pages of the Bible and you'll find so many examples of how to live by faith, moms. There are plenty of godly moms throughout Scripture to learn from, like Sarah, the wife of Abraham. She's got a lot to teach. Ruth, the great-great-great-grandmother of King David. There's a whole, an entire book in your Bible written about Ruth for you to learn from. How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? She's a good person to learn from. Eve, the mother of us all. She's a great mom to learn from. But let me tell you, moms, you're very needed more than ever today. Is your faith visible? Can it even be seen? Is it effective? Does it actually work? I'm not saying that you can control the weather. But can you pray and get answers to prayer? Do you love prayer? Do you love the presence of God? Do you have respectful faith in your home? You know, it matters to God and to your Timothys, whether there's, there's just, you know, you love God, you serve God, you serve other people. Don't worry, it's constantly being temp tested and tempted. That's normal. Because if it's real, it'll stand. Just make sure your faith is a good faith that makes you a blessing and a servant and a help and humble and grateful. Whatever you do, mom, be the kind of a mom, be a kind of a grandma that has real faith, unfeigned faith, because it'll make the difference to your children when they become a Timothy. Hey, young man, let me say this. I have one last thought here. Your mom's faith is certainly never going to be perfect, but if a mom's faith is anchored in this Bible, then it's good enough for you. You don't have to have the, the pastor's faith or the, the, the church's faith. You need your mom, whatever your mom is trusting to get her through every day, you can trust. It'll work for you. Does it, it doesn't need to change. We don't need to update the Bible. We don't need to figure out new ways to understand the Bible. We just need to live it. Because there's a Paul out there right now looking for a young man who had a godly mom who prepared him to do something great. And young man, I'll ask you this. Are you that young man? We need some new Timothys. We're coming into a strange new world where things are going to be different. I hope things, you know, return to some sort of normality. But at the same time, I hope not everything change, uh, goes back to the way it was. It'd be really nice if it just got a little harder to, to live in sin, a little harder to just live in pleasure so that people sought God again. We need some Timothy, some young men who are ready for God to call them. Could that be you? Father, we ask that you would take these thoughts about unfeigned faith and burden us that we would have that kind of faith. Yeah, we all say that we have faith. But if we were to put it out on the examining table, we'd find out it's full of holes. It's very weak. We don't, we don't rest in it. We don't feed it. We just have it. And it's, it's paper thin. And this... Next few weeks, next few months, however long this is going to go on, Lord, we're going to find out whether our faith is real or not. Whether the faith that we claim to have actually works. And I pray, especially moms this Mother's Day, they would take heart that we need you. We need you to be real. You don't have to be perfect. Thank God we don't need perfect moms. But we do need godly moms. We need faithful moms who have unfeigned faith because it's the faith that works, not us. So thank you, Lord, for giving us this time in your word. Thank you for it being Mother's Day. Please help us honor them. We love you, and I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not